You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 77. Well, welcome back. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Had a very uh, quiet week here. Um, we some of the things we've been doing, uh, Kim and I, is very boring business things like tidying up our end of year finances. Here in Australia, our financial year finishes on the thirtieth of June, so we have to do a stock take and all those other business businessy things um, ready for um, putting in our tax returns. So not too much exciting stuff going on with cheese. But uh, yeah, certainly a lot of action happening around uh, within the business. Anyway, let's get on and have a look at uh, some cheese news. And today is uh, quite funny, so I'll uh, I'll play that now. Now, when I said funny, probably not really funny, but funny in my weird sense of humour. So I'll play the uh, the article now and we'll see where we go from there. Finally tonight, thieves are always after the cheddar, except in Italy, where they're stealing a close cousin. Here's Seth Doan. 9.30 p.m., eight officers keep watch from a convoy of three police cars. These patrols happen yeah. every night. Every night, yeah. In 30 years on the force, Alessandro Vicari has never seen a wave of robberies like this. Police blame organized crime. No surprise there. But the target? This cheese can be quite valuable. Yeah. Yes, cheese. These are the streets of Reggio Emilia, Italy, home to Parmesan. There have been so many thefts, Vicari explained. Cheese is a bit like gold here. The price is so high. Exhibit A, a single wheel of cheese can sell for over $500. The staple of spaghetti dinners everywhere is the economic backbone of these small Italian towns. Parmesan is so valuable that it is used as collateral for loans. Believe it or not, this is a bank. Its vault filled with more than $120 million worth of cheese. To be certified Parmigiano-Reggiano, it must age for at least a year. So that means cheese, a whole lot of it, is stacked up in warehouses on small, rural, unprotected farms. Lorenzo Pinetti showed us how thieves made off with $100,000 of his cheese in minutes. They'd make an assembly line and steal this piece and then this piece. Italy's Parmesan consortium figures about $7 million worth has been stolen in the last two years. There's a robust black market, so stepped-up patrols and new security systems are now in place. But surely this will not be the last time thieves come to visit us, Panetti said. Small, independent farmers are what makes this cheese so good and such a delicious target. Seth Doan, CBS News, Reggio Emilia, Italy. Well, that was, uh, like I said, quite unusual. So uh, for those who didn't get it, people or, or uh, 
organised crime in Italy are stealing wheels of uh, Parmigiano Reggiano. So, <laughs> because they're worth a lot of money. They're massive. You know, they're about, uh, what are they? About 60 kilograms each wheel, or maybe 60 pounds, 30 kilograms. Yeah, that's better. So, it is just crazy that... This cheese is so valuable that uh, they're stealing it and selling it on the black market. Oh, well, hopefully uh, my cheeses will one day have uh, just as much value as this one. So I've got some listener questions this week. Uh, Let's get into that. The first question is from Carlos. Uh, Good night, Mr. Gaby. My name is Carlos. I'm from Peru specifically uh, from the province of Cajamarca. If you review a little here in internet, this city is very important for my country in the production of cheeses. With respect to me, I am producer of those products in that place and by chance of life. I have seen your videos. Obviously, I have subscribed because they are too interesting for aspects such as practicality teaching and the way in which products can be made. In my country, there are many crops to make cheeses. However, they are not so competitive. For this reason, I decided to import them from the USA. So I would also like to help me know what is the right crop for cheeses like cheddar, cheese Swiss type and the marble cheddar cheese that fascinated me. I'm going to try it in the production plan to see how it goes. Returning to the topic of crops, where I can buy these crops in the United States and if there is a way to buy the products online and send them to the address of Doral, Miami, Florida. By the way, I regularly import from the United States, for example, a skimmer, vacuum packer, bags, etc. I will be immensely gratefully, grateful if you could help me with that information because here in my country, exists are not as good as those there it's, it's possible that my message cannot be answered. But just like in the lottery, I will hope to win the jackpot. Your response so valuable. Thank you. Thank you very much for your attention and apologize for my bad pronunciation. I'm going to try to be the most uh, enten- uh, understand uh, possible. Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to wait for your message. I'm so glad for for you can uh, listen my message. Eh, muchas gracias por por su ayuda, por por brindarme este espacio para poder enviarle este mensaje. Que tengan muy buenas noches. Good night, Mr. Gabin. Well, thanks, Carlos. I appreciate your voicemail, and I think I understood most of it. Uh, and don't worry about your pronunciation, mate. I have trouble speaking English, so don't worry about that at all. So your first question was, which crops, and I believe you are using that word instead of cultures. So what cultures are used for cheddar, for Swiss cheese, and for that marble cheddar that I made? So 
for the two cheddars, I used a very simple culture, and it was a mesophil- simple mesophilic culture. Uh, let me just find the strains here. So as long as the culture contains Lactococcus lactis subspecies Cromorus and Lactococcus lactis subspecies Lactus, you're about to make the same cheddar cheese as I do and same as the marbled cheddar. So I in particular used a brand called Sacco uh, and the designation for that mesophilic culture was MO30. But there are many other um, mesophilic cultures with those two strains of bacteria, lactic bacteria, in them. So that's all you have to track down. Now, I will put that in the show notes. Now, the other cheese, for Swiss cheese, uh, you'll need two different uh, cultures, two bacterias. Now, I'll just find those as well. So the first one is a thermophilic culture. So as long as the thermophilic culture has uh, Streptococcus thermophilus, Lactobacillus helviticus, and Lactobacillus delbrecki subspecies bulgaris, as long as it's got those three thermophilic cultures in it, you'll be able to make Swiss cheese. And then to make the eyes or the holes in the Swiss cheese, you'll need another culture called Propionic Shimani. Now, Propionic Shimani is, uh, it creates CO2 into the cheese, so that's why it makes the holes. And also uh, what it does is creates a, a nutty and aromatic flavour, so a nutty taste to the cheese, which you get with um, most Swiss sort of cheeses. Hopefully I've helped you out there. Now, the other question was, where do you get these things in the United States? Well, a quick Google search, I found a couple of places. So there's one company called New England Cheese Making Company, uh, and they have lots of uh, starter cultures and all that sort of stuff. There's another one called cheesemaker.com. That's within the US. And there's one within Canada uh, Glengarry Cheesemaking Co. is that one there. So I will put the address in the show notes and you'll be able to find the show notes over at littlegreencheese.com. So Carlos, hopefully that's answered your question. It's a little bit too digest there, but uh, I'll have it written in English so you can translate it if you want to use Google Translator to translate it into Spanish. Okay, the next question is from Phil. Good morning, Gavin. It's Phil Camerata from Western New York. I recently purchased some um, uh, cultures from you to make raclette. Uh, We were recently in France and we loved that cheese and we wanted to try to replicate it. Um, My question is, I'm getting a lot of blue-green mold on the cheese and I'm washing it um, like every third day with the brine solution, um, as you suggested in your videos. Um, but I'm just wondering, it's a very strong smelling, um, mold. And I just want to make sure that that is normal. Uh, I've never used the maturation boxes before all of the other like Parmesan cheeses that I've made. Um, I just put them in the, uh, cheese cave, um, which they get dry. Um, but now with my two Parmesan cheeses as well in the maturation boxes, I'm starting to get um, 
a blue-green mold on those as well. But they have more of a sweeter smell like a blue cheese. Um, so I'm just wondering, um, when do I stop? Because now I made it on May 4th. It is June 18th. Just wondering, when do I take it out of the maturation box? Um, when do I stop washing it? Um, and should I allow the, the mold to continue to grow? So anyway, any help would be wonderful. And um, I, love the, I love how far you've come with your business. And uh, I love uh, watching you and learning from you. So thanks so much. Have a great day down under. Thanks, Phil. Um, and you were on the show last week as well. I didn't realise it when I was downloading all my voicemails and putting in the queue for uh, for the show. Now, as far as your raclette goes, it doesn't sound like it is humid enough uh, for the and, – and the reason I say that is because blue-green mould likes to mature at a – at a lower humidity, so around 70 to 80% relative humidity. But Brevibacteria linens, which you will have in your raclette, which is the orange slash red mould that does stink. It really does smell like smelly socks, so don't be too worried there. That's what it's supposed to smell like. It needs a higher humidity, um, around uh, 85 to 95% relative humidity for that to, to develop. The cheese has got to kind of be moist like sticky to touch, that's when you know that's the right medium for the red mould to grow. So there are a couple of ways to determine whether it's ready or not. Um, what I do tend to check is if you press in the paste and it kind of moves a little bit, that means it's starting to get softer in the middle of the cheese, which is exactly what you want uh, for raclette or any washed rind cheeses. Raclette tends to be a little bit firmer, uh, than what other wash rind cheeses are that are kind of like oozy in the middle. So I would uh, ripen it less rather than more. Um, so this is now, what am I, July 4th for you. Um, I would think that it oh, July, so it's been down for May, probably another month to go um, of washing. Now, don't forget to wash it about twice a week. Uh, just keep the uh, that blue-green mould off and see if you can increase the humidity within the ripening box. Uh, as I suggested in the last uh, podcast episode, put some damp paper towel underneath, uh, between the bottom of the ripening box and the mat uh, and then sit the mat on top of the damp towel and that'll bring the humidity within your ripening box up a level. Uh, and it should promote uh, the Brevibacterium linens growth. So it should be an orange smear that you're finding all over the cheese now. If not, mate, then uh, shoot me a photograph via my normal communications means, and uh, I'll have a look at it for you and uh, try and troubleshoot further. Anyway, hope that helps, Phil. And thanks very much for your voicemail. Okay, the next voicemail is from Justine. So let's play that one. Hi, Gavin. It's Justine from Perth, Western Australia. Um, I was making a Colby cheese on the weekend and I forgot about milling in the salt after I drained the curds. Uh, so the next day after it was been pressed, I realised what I'd done um, and I had an 18% brine solution. So I soaked it in that for 12 hours. Um, I'm just wondering whether have I actually ruined my cheese or will this actually still work and 
will I still actually end up with a Colby cheese? Thank you very much. No problems, Justine. I don't think you'll have too many problems. That sounds like a good troubleshooting solution to me. Uh, Colby does normally have the salt milled in with the curds. Uh, however, I have seen some Colby recipes where they do brine the cheese. You said you put it in there for 12 hours. That's about standard for um, a cheese made with 10 litres of milk. I think it would have had good salt absorption uh, as long as the salt was uh, fairly high, so as long as it was floating uh, within your brine solution of the cheese, that is. And I don't think you'll have any problems at all. I think it'll turn out to be quite a nice little Colby. Okay, hope that helped. Uh, next question is from April. So let's have a listen to that one. Hi, Gavin. This is April from Houston, Texas. I just cracked open my Gruyere that's from your recipe, and it is absolutely delicious. So thank you for posting that recipe, doing the YouTube videos. I love your channel. I was wondering, um, I've had Gruyeres in the past from like artisan cheesemakers, and I think Parmesan's and Romano cheeses, where there's these little like salty crystals within the cheese. I was wondering, what are those? How do they do it? And is there any way I can replicate it in my own cheese making? Thanks for all you do. Uh, no problems at all, April. Now, those little salty crystals you were talking about uh, within aged uh, Gouda and uh, sometimes Parmesan, Romano, and some really old cheddars as well. I've seen them in Swiss-type cheeses. They are known as either calcium lactate or they're also called... Uh, tyrosone crystals. Now, both of those types of crystals are formed when uh, calcium and lactic acid are uh, in concentration with each other, which funnily enough happen to be in cheese. So the older the cheese becomes, the bigger the concentration of those crystals are within the cheese. So you'll typically find it in aged gouders. So Cheeses that are aged over about 10 months. So if you've got, um, well, let me think. So some of the cheeses that I've made that have uh, either either calcium lactate or uh, tyrosine crystals in them uh, have been the one-year-old cheddar that I made. Also, the um, early Romano, raw milk, cow, raw milk Romano I made, um, Vaccio Romano, a long time ago. It was about ooh, four or five years. Probably the first Romano video that I ever put up. And that was full of the crystals, not only on the inside. The inside is the crunchy ones, which are more um, tyrosone. Uh, and it had a white coating around the outside, and they were calcium lactate. So it had both types of crystals and it, uh, just a delightful little crunch. Some of the other cheeses, uh, one of the aged Parmesans I had was full of crystals uh, and I aged a Gouda uh, to about nine months and they had really fine crystals, not a big concentration. Now, like I said, what happens is that the you know, calcium and uh, lactic acid um, bond together and where they are in bigger concentrations within your cheese, they'll become bigger crystals. Now, there's a whole article on it, and what I'll do, I'll link to that article. It's from the Dairy Pipeline, which is a technical resource for dairy manufacturers, which comes out of the Wisconsin Centre for Dairy Research. I will um, pop that into the show notes so you can have a full read 
of uh, crystal formation in cheese, which these days is a bit of a trendy thing. Um, Cheesemakers are trying to do it, actually pop it in, um, not pop it in, are trying to get these crystals to develop within their cheese. So anyway, April, hopefully that helps. Uh, And they are wonderful little things if you can find an aged cheese that has them in there. Have a it's a, a a little tender crunch, and it has a a, a great little flavour, and uh, really is quite delightful to the palate. Anyway, um, thank you very much for your question. Um, and uh, yeah, I did a bit of research for that one to uh, find the answer, even though I knew which uh, one of the crystals were, but I wasn't too sure about uh, tyrosine. Right, that's the show for this week. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening, as always. Now, if you um, listen on iTunes, I would be forever in your debt if you could pop over there and uh, give me an iTunes review. I think you can do it from your phone now using the podcast app. Um, but uh, an iTunes review, um, give it a star rating. I don't mind what it is. I'm happy to be uh, open to any sort of uh, feedback there. Um, and uh, tell me how the show's going. You know, if you can't find a, uh, if you sorry, haven't got an iOS device and you're not listening via the uh, Apple Podcast app, then I would love just to comment on the um, show notes just to tell me how I'm going uh, and whether you like the content in these shows and whether I should continue. Not that I'm thinking of stopping anytime soon, of course. Just one final thing, if you're in the market for uh, any cheesemaking equipment, supplies and uh, kits and that sort of thing as gifts, uh, then don't forget you can pop over to littlegreenworkshops.com.au and pick up all that sort of stuff. We ship internationally from uh, our little home base here in Melton, Victoria. Uh, So we ship to just about every country in the world, uh, except those that won't let us, of course. Okay, um, that's all we've got time for. So um, thank you very much once again for listening to the show. You've been listening to Little Green Cheese Podcast. You can pick up a copy of my ebook full of recipes called Keep Calm and Make Cheese The Beginner's Guide to Cheese Making at Home at any good ebook retailer like Amazon and Apple iBookstore. You can also find all of my video cheesemaking tutorials over at cheeseman.tv. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so you get notified for lots of cheesy content on a weekly basis. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and stay tuned for the next exciting episode of Little Green Cheese Podcast. During the show, I played music by Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, Call to the Dairy Cows and News Theme.